birthdays. And if you're into your turf and your lawns and your and your soil, uh, we've got it all here for you. We'll be joining a number of people heavily involved in the industry, from machinery, from laying, from mulching. Um, I've been here for two and a half odd hours, and I've been getting around the stalls. It's really quite fascinating. Um, you just sort of think you throw some seed on a bit of dirt and then mow it when it's grown, and happy days. But um, these guys are the absolute... Uh, peak of this industry so we will catch up with a number of them through the show now when we were setting up the show I thought oh well midday manners will be easy we'll do rugby uh Razor Robertson but on this other news the other Robertson Zane um testing positive for EPO so uh we do have Nikki Nicole she's the New Zealand Olympic Committee CEO she'll be joining us at 12.25 just about the process that's gone on and where to from here. So we will do that. So we've had to juggle the show around. But uh, I do want to start off talking about the Razor Robertson situation. And to do that, uh, a very well-respected rugby voice and a farmer, Palmy boys, old boy, Hamish Mackay. I think he's there now. Moshi, welcome in. Seth, how are you, fella? Yeah, nah, nah. Good to be with you. Um. The Razor-Robertson thing, it had an air of inevitability about it, but it's been an absolute circus since that test match in um, South Africa that sounds like it saved Ian Foster's lifeline for then, but not for much, too much longer. The process. What have you made of the process? Oh, look, it has been. as diabolical a fair enough word to use. I mean, you made a decision before that test match in South Africa, um, Guys went out there that day, and the players changed the course of the history, didn't they? By by, yeah. by hanging in there and getting that win. But you know, it's just and then it, you know when it hit to the the first time, I think I saw Joe Wheeler having that interview with Razor, which was the first time that Razor sort of came out and said, "Look, got the job, stand by for an announcement." And then they had to then they had to sort of prolong things a bit because of that. But it's just been. I don't know. My feeling now is it's been so drawn out and so diabolical, and it goes right back to the previous, you know, how we ended up in this situation in the first place, which is sort of post-2019 when they sent those letters to 25 potential coaches. And so we had, we've had we had a really sort of sticky situation ever since then. So all I can think about now is, Razor, you're the coach in 2024. Probably you've got a big job in front of you. And, man, can you leave some egg on a few faces? if you get it right. Mm. And it's interesting, in the press conference yesterday, and it'll carry on today and into the future, when they were asking New Zealand Rugby about their process and were they happy with it, because the public certainly hasn't, and they're quite dismissive of the public having a permission, just saying, oh yeah, look, they're passionate, aren't they? And that's that's what we love, that they're passionate. And it's almost quite dismissive of the public opinion. Behind the scenes, I, 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 I understand one or two that I, you know, older All Blacks, I'm lucky enough to have, be able to have a conversation with, tell me that Mark Robinson is, does get rugby and does understand everything, but that's just, you know, that's just, that's just, you know, that's sort of like the, um, you know, the lobbyist working, you know, the PR spin, the, just ridiculous. And that's almost to me like saying, oh, dumb old fan. You know, uh, well, bugger off, because without us, you ain't got nothing, you know. Um, I'm quite sort of filthy with that. Why not just come out and say, we completely cocked this up, um, but here's here's the scenario now. 
Um, and and, and as, as I say, how many people sit there in the ends of our office now? Go, geez, I hope Fozzie doesn't win this thing because you know <laughs> we look pretty stupid. Um, but of course, everybody wants his. He'll he'll finish on a high. A world he could finish on a high as a World Cup winner, coach, and um, be gone. So it is. Yeah, just admit it. Cop it on the chin, and I think a lot of people would move on really quickly. Yeah, and even in that press conference, they were talking about um, the process and uh, Jamie Joseph and was there anyone else, and they just say, we're not going to talk about that. They need to talk about it. They, they, they just continually yeah. leave us, uh, both the media and the general public. And remember, the, as you well know, the media are the conduit for the public. We get to ask the questions, yeah. and they just they won't answer it. Yeah. No, and, 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 you know, like, why not? why not talk about who else, you know, surely given that he got a team to within one point of Ireland, I think, and two points of France, and and then lost, his B team lost to Italy, um, who turned out to be OK, um, and he beat South Africa, beat the... Got robbed against... Why not, you know, why not mention Dave Reddy? Um, why mm. not mention some of the other guys that must have been in contention? Where does Joe Smith now sit in this whole scenario? You know, two, two, two excellent coaches. Um, yeah, um, but... Hey, it's, uh, it, it, I just hope now that it can just be parked, although I don't think that the media should retract from poking the bear a bit because the bear ain't, you know, ain't giving us what we, what we need to hear. You know, how did, who, was, who sort of backtracked in South Africa last year um, and, and it sort of led to this anyway? So, yeah, bit of water to go under the bridge, but I kind of hope that we focus now on uh, the, the, the two or three sort of um, green roots that are uh, emerging in terms of players um, a- a- as you need to have happen in a World Cup year and, and then focus on a World Cup and put 24, tw- uh, 2024 to bed for now. Yeah. It's, are you happy with the decision? Right man got the job? Um, I would have... Look, I, I, going forward, if, if this was the decision that Ian Foster was gone as all-black coach then I would have been happy with Razor Robertson. A lot of pressure on him, though, because watch how quickly he will turn if it's not, you know, if it's not, if he doesn't start getting the results immediately. Mm-hmm. And I still have real concerns about where we're at with our, our depth in, in certain positions, that it won't be an easy fix. I don't know why some people just think he'd just be like a, a pill you can pop and suddenly you'll be well again. Um, <laughs> I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, you know, and, and I like I like Jamie with Tony Brown because we know that Jamie struggled at the Highlands and then brought Tony Brown on, and then they became a really good combination and have gone on to do other things. I still think Dave Rennie is one of the best coaches in rugby going around, and the Wallabies have made a, a, a huge mistake there. Uh, but hey, that's their problem. It'll come back to fry them, I think. And uh, yeah, and I, and I just can't see Joe Smith obviously wanted to be sort of involved on a limited basis, and that's a personal decision. Um, but, I, you know, I'd love to have seen Joe involved there too. But uh, clearly he and Razor don't sort of, sort of don't sing from the same song sheet. So that won't happen. But, yeah, um, I, I mean, you got to love Razor, but I just I can't get over how people think that, that success in Super Rugby has any correlation to Test Rugby. It has none, in my opinion. So many times we've seen years where, uh, perhaps one country in the old days dominated the tri nation, uh, dominated Super Rugby, but not the tri nations, you know, and that clearly illustrated it. So, and, and everything we put in place 20 years ago, the Northern Hemisphere cottoned on to. So, yeah, she, she, she's a pretty, you know, it, it won't be easy for him. Uh, the spotlight will be right on him. 
Brilliant, Hamish. Really appreciate your time today, and, and I'm with you. Let's let's just try and park it. I don't think we will, and um, rally yep. behind the All Blacks and Ian Foster, and um, we can worry about Razor this time next year. Exactly. Spot on, Seth. Cheers. Good man, Hamish Mackay there. Um, good voice, good reason. Um, I really want to hear from you. Uh, we might actually take a break now so we can fit some calls and uh, your responses Love hearing all of your opinions out there about, you know, it's the process that really irks me and the reluctance from New Zealand rugby to potentially say they could have done things better. I think I've heard Mark Robinson say that about that one weird press conference he did from a hotel room in South Africa. That's about the only thing they've said they could do better. But um, I reiterate, he did tell me last Thursday in the car park at SENZ in Auckland, that he would come on the show for an hour two weeks after the All Blacks have been named. So two weeks from now, let's see if that happens. 0800 Love to hear from you before we talk about this um, EPO test for Zane Robertson. We'll take a break. We'll come back after that. Give us a yell. Yes, and Blackadders, Leicester Fire Nukes. You know, guys like that, he has an incredible ability to actually tap talent and make them into better players. And that's what I'm excited about. His biggest challenge is going to be replacing, you know, three or four legends, you know, the likes of Retallick, Sam Whitelock, my God, who just gets better, better with age, and, of course, the likes of Aaron Smith. But I'm actually confident, I'm quite actually confident he's actually got that ability. And he's also, if you think about it, he was involved with the under-20s about seven years ago. So I reckon he'll have a good handle on what's coming through. Sure, there are some areas of our game that are going to be very tricky to replace. You know, those obviously those two locks, halfback, first five. But I just think he's the perfect guy to step into the frame. Yeah, I think the time's right as well. I do think the time's right. Steve, we've got to move on. Appreciate your call, buddy. Um, let's go and have a quick chat to Mikey from Christchurch. Nice and warm in Christchurch today, Mikey. How are you doing? <laughs> You chose the right day, didn't you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was I was hoping to come over and say good day to you, but I think it's a ticket event, and I, and, I, and I usually work outside, and I saw this weather, and I was like, nah, that's not happening today. So never mind, another time. Um, yes, good points, Steve. Um, eight years without a title, and we had Kieran Reed, Dan Carter, Richard Core, and a number of other greats. Um, so to me, it proves that a race can bring people together, um, there's another point about the whole like international experience, and I think there's a there's a wee misnomer because we don't expect our all uh, well, our future All Blacks to go play overseas to pick them as All Blacks, do we? No. So the once you become All Blacks, they play under a separate rugby coaches, do they not? Under the, under our systems. Yep. So you know, I don't think you have to have uh, international experience. That's just something that's I, can't, I, I think kind of recent. I guess look, I know you're, you know you're in a hurry, so I'll just say let's leave Fozzie to try and win the World Cup. And he's just leave Razor to win the Super Rugby Comp. Okay. Tick, tick. Good stuff, Mikey. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Cheers, cheers mate. Um, there he is, Mikey. Uh, we'll get back to that. Um, but the, the breaking news this morning is that New Zealand athlete Zane Robertson has tested positive for EPO. Um, he is, of course, the New Zealand record holder for the half and full marathon. He won a bronze medal at the 2014 5,000 metres at the Commonwealth Games. 
So it's, uh, I was amazed when I read this story of the New Zealand athletes um, being stung for this. But uh, gratefully, uh, gratefully, we have the head of the New Zealand Olympic Committee, Nikki Nicole, joins us. G'day, Nikki. Kira, Mark, how are you? Oh, I'm good. You must be, gosh, disappointed to say the least. Uh, correct. Deeply disappointed and, and, yeah, just actually very saddened when we heard the news. Uh, reading the report, um, it says that the the event was in May last year at the Manchester Great Race um, uh, event. Uh, he was provisionally suspended in September last year and he asked for his B sample to be tested. That also tested positive. How many agencies are involved in compiling this, I guess, evidence for want of a better word? Yeah, in New Zealand, drug-free sport New Zealand take the lead and so certainly acknowledge um, Nick Patterson and his team for what they've done and and certainly from our perspective, um, you know, it's a really important partnership because, you know, from our perspective, the games are just important that they've got integrity um, in all manners and obviously um, clean athletes is part of that. So acknowledge the work by drug-free sport New Zealand and, you know, for us, um, you know, this is against everything we stand for as an organisation. So, um, you know, we acknowledge the ban that has been put in place. Um, he, um, Zane initially said he went to a Kenyan medical facility wanting a COVID vaccine. Instead, he was treated for COVID with EPO. Um, it's a pretty amazing drug if it can fix COVID. That's something that Donald Trump would have liked to have heard about, I'm sure. Uh, but he also got two doctors and a witness stating this is actually what happened. Um, <laughs> And the thing was, he, he got a four-year ban for testing positive and a four-year ban for tampering with samples. How did he tamper with samples? Yeah, those questions certainly have to be directed back to Drug Free Sport because they have led the process. Um, certainly from our perspective, um, you know, the eight-year ban, four years for the um, doping offence and four years for the falsifying of statements is... Um, what's been handed down and so we will respect that and, and clearly he's not part of our programme and hasn't been since um, Tokyo. Yeah, I wanted to know what sort of um, relationship you had with, with Zane because he's he's been over in Kenya with his brother for many, many years. So was there still a link between you and those athletes, that, that not only Zane but the ones that are permanently based offshore? Um if you think about the Commonwealth and Olympic Games cycle, that's when we certainly work really closely with the athletes and the national sporting organisations. So um, if you go back for us, um, two Olympics and a Commonwealth Games, as you said, so that's been our relationship with Zane through those campaigns and, and work really closely and certainly had you know, nothing that would um, you know, prepare us for what we heard yesterday and today announced. Um, athletics New Zealand, are, you know, had the key relationship with the athletes. Obviously, we, we support all the national sporting organisations to come together at team time under the New Zealand team and, and certainly that's where the, the main relationship does sit. Um, he obviously withdrew his defence, he decided he wouldn't fight it anymore, so is it your understanding he's now fully accepted this ban? Again, final um, decision will be through him and with Drug Free Sport and the Sport Tribunal, um, mm. but that is my understanding and, and I think what's critically important is we do know that Athletics New Zealand and High Performance Sport New Zealand have also reached out and are providing quite a lot of support to Zane as well, just because his personal well-being is still important, irrespective of the occurrence. Mm, yeah, I wanted to bring that up to say, you know, what happens to him now? Um, I, I think he, he's a permanent resident in Kenya. Did, can you can you throw any light on, on what Zane Robertson does now? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably time for him to reflect on that. But I know um, through the sector that we are making sure that he he does have that right level of support with him at this time because it is quite a vulnerable time for him and, you know, making sure he's got that support is really important. Yeah, and we never know the full story behind all of these things, do we? Which um, which will probably come out in the fullness of the time. I don't know if he he will ever speak to it, but and and I guess to round it out, Nikki is um, while it's incredibly disappointing for us here in New Zealand that a New Zealand athlete's been caught doing this, it does show that the testing works. It does show that drug-free sport um, won't hide behind um, positive tests, and it does bring a level of credibility to the programs that you've got in place to to. Um, I was going to say minimise, but to stop this um, performance-enhancing drugs coming into uh, our Olympic athletes and all sports in New Zealand. You're absolutely right, and and um, that's how we hold it as well. So you know, while these are quite rare occurrences, I think it's been 14 years since um, the last incident. So you know, a significant amount of time, you know, hundreds of athletes that have helped. Um, enhance the manner of the New Zealand team and, and the black jersey or singlet or um, swimsuit or, or whatever the um, costume of choice is for all of our athletes. But it does mean that actually the system is working and it does mean that um, you know we still have to remain vigilant all the time and so you know we're never complacent and certainly with the sector and drug-free sport you know that's an important part of education first and then compliance and monitoring and as you say um, it does mean that there is credibility in the system when you know, we do find things. And, and again, I think drug-free sport has acted quickly, swiftly and fairly through this process. And lastly, we're talking to New Zealand Olympic Committee CEO Nikki Nicole. Um, the, the education for our athletes, I know it's there. Um, I was actually involved in setting something like this up with the Olympic Committee many years ago. Um, so the <laughs> education, you're, you're happy with um, the education programs you're providing for the athletes as far as awareness. Um, this, will, this will ramp up uh, the radar of the athletes, I'm sure, when this spreads through our um, Olympic and Commonwealth Games athletes, but all sports people in New Zealand. Is it something you need to address or are you happy that it's that it, the message is out there and they should know? I'm really comfortable and confident that the message is out there, but like everything, you always just keep reviewing and looking for opportunities to keep enhancing it. I mean, it's not something we do alone either, so I think we have to really um, recognise the whole sector, so all the national sporting organisations, um, drug-free sport, high-performance sport New Zealand, you know, we are all in this together because you know, integrity of sport is something that we hold really highly and as a country, you know, we have a fantastic reputation internationally. So, you know, that's something that I think is something we want to hold on to and we'll continue to invest. But as I say, really confident in the programmes that we've got and, you know, we'll continue to review and, you know, look for ways to make them better as needed. Brilliant, Nikki. I appreciate you front-footing it and offering yourself to, to talk to us today. I'm used to administrators running away, so uh, I, I'm pleased you ran towards <laughs> us instead of away from us. Um, that's good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Okay, no, thanks for your time. Okay, take care. Cheers, Nikki Nicole. There she is, the CEO of New Zealand Olympic Committee. Um, my, oh my, I just can't, I can't believe because it's happened, but a New Zealand athlete... Tested positive for EPO, Zane Robertson, uh, very decorated track uh, track athlete. Um, Zane's been holding for a while, so I'll, I'll take Zane's call before we go to the news, uh, Finn. Um, if you can get that green light to turn grey, then I'll know he's ready to talk to us. Or unless you can hear me. Oh, there he is. G'day, Zane. Have I got you, Zane? Can you hear me? Yeah, I've got you now. Yeah, mate. My, my namesake, mate. What a muppet, eh? 
absolute. <laughs> he's polluted all the, all the zanes. Yeah. I tell you, mate. How do you not think you're going to get caught anyway? Hey, I'm um, quickly on the whole Razor thing, right? I'm not unhappy. He's the coach. I probably would have rather had Dave Rennie because of his, you know, World Cup experience and like. But I'm kind of with you, like the whole process. You'd have to imagine that Foster was told last year at some point, you know, a long time ago. It wasn't. He wasn't continuing, right? But what happened between the point where he was given the go-ahead mid-season when he was underperforming, then started performing, and then they decided he wasn't going to be retained from an, like an employment contract perspective, that must be extremely messy, mm. is one point. And my second point is, like, who is the, you know, Mark Robinson and the board accountable to? Who, you know, who elects him? Because to me, this is completely mismanaged. I mean, the whole situation, but just the way New Zealand rugby has been run at the moment. And if that was a company, I can't see how they're not under review and highly likely to, to be replaced. But it seems like in New Zealand rugby, they're kind of accountable to the unions who they, you know, no one wants, and the unions wants to offend them because then all the backlash that might come back on them if they don't support them, similar to our guy Bill Bowman or whatever it is for world rugby. So that's my my biggest area of worry. Who are these board members and Mark Robinson accountable? And how do we get someone in there who can actually run this show? Yeah, my understanding it is it is the the unions, the twenty what is it, twenty seven, I think, twenty six, twenty seven rugby unions. They are the stakeholders. That's how New Zealand rugby was set up. Um, they are the ones that vote. Um, so I'll be very interested to see what but, happens. But when the do they meet next? Yeah. yeah, how do you initiate know. like this review, mate? Because it's just it's, it's, I don't know who's worse than New Zealand cricket. Anyway, go go. Um, Foster, I hope he wins the cup, and I hope Razor does well. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Zane. Thanks, See buddy. You, uh, you're welcome to call us, 0800 150 11. The lines are open. We'll take new sport and weather. I'd love to hear on either of these topics, uh, the Razor Robertson. It's more the process that's disappointed me over the last six to nine months, I guess. Um, but if you'd like to have a comment on Zane Robertson testing positive, um, terrible, terrible news, really. Terrible but good, because as I said, it shows that the system works in catching uh, the drug cheats, and he's forever going to be labelled a drug cheat, which I would hate to think how that would affect me if that if that happened. And um, I'm pleased to hear they've got support around him as well, because he will be feeling terrible, absolutely terrible. We'll take news, we'll come back. Give us a yell, 0800 150 811. Potentially three super rugby teams going to be looking for head coaches if that's still the, the team he's going to put together. But that's by the by, I guess. There's a bit of water to go under the bridge yet. But let's go across to Brisbane and talk to Brent. G'day, Brent. Hey, staff. How are you? Good, thank you, buddy. Hey, a couple, I've been meaning to talk to you about the Peter Bowl, oh, about the drug testing on the Peter Bowl, the Aussie athlete who, whose A was positive and the B was negative. But I waited mm-hmm. but until this happened quite interesting to talk about but also just first on Fozzie and Razor yep. is that okay yep so I've said all along I've said this all along that after the second test in South Africa when we got beaten well on the first test and we were playing at Alice Park in the second test that Mark Robinson CEO came out on the Saturday and said there's going to be a huge announcement on Sunday after the test right now, we were expected to lose that test after how we be, how we played in the first test. And then somehow, I don't know how, we won and the players rallied around um, Foster and so did Smith. 
And Mark Robinson was set to announce Razor as a coach effective after that tour immediately. And some of that stuff had been leaked out to some New Zealand media, I know. Uh, and all of a sudden, New Zealand rugby, again, with egg on their face, had to put that on ice until now. And hence Razor had said, and put a little bit of pressure on him and said, you need to make an announcement. You promised me the job. So this huge mismanagement by New Zealand rugby and something needs to happen at the top. Mm-hmm. All right, that's my take on that, all right? Yep. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm with you. I just... Uh, I don't know whether Ian Foster had KPIs in his contract and that um, win in South Africa meant he'd met met them, whether there was a certain number of games yet to win overseas and that one got him across the line and he's gone to them with a contract and say, mate, you can't get rid of me uh, or you're going to have to pay me out in complete, uh, you know, completely and it'll be a huge bill. Um, and so I feel like Fozzie had them over a barrel contractually as an employee because that could be the only reason. But that's bit my speculation. Yeah. And now, can I talk about Dane Robertson? Yep. Okay, so I follow the doping and the water quite a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And you know how we talk about positive and negative tests. It's actually an ATF, right, is an atypical finding, right? So that's when the first one is irregular or unusual, and that has to come from a, a WADA-accredited lab, right? And that means that the it needs further investigation, right? Because there's like biomarkers in the tests that they use, right? And it's come up with something irregular, right? And then when it, the second test comes up positive, right? How we, how you and I talk about it, it's actually called um, an AAF, an adverse and analytical finding. So that means it's from a water lab studying that there's a presence of a prohibitive substance, right? So. They are the technical terms, and we all use positive and negative, right? But like on Neil, on Zane Robertson, you look at the case of Australian athlete Peter Bowl, right? He he tested, or, or, or talking layman terms, he tested positive to EPO, the same as what Zane has tested positive for, and you know he you know strenuous, strenuously denied using it, right? So then when the B, B sample came and got tested, it was it came back negative, right? So his name's still Mud, right? And the funny thing is, right, I know this might be different in the Zane case, I don't really know enough about it yet, but on average, the water, the urine test they do first is only 60 to 70% accurate. The water blood test is only 93% accurate, right? And it measures like seven biomarkers. They have a biological passport, these athletes, and it yep. measures seven biomarkers, right? Um, it's it's not that accurate, but I know in this case you can you can definitely protest against it. Or but what they're working on now, and this is the thing that the IOC is working on now. They're working on genetic sequencing, right? And what will happen is when they get that right, there'll be a thousand biomarkers in the testing, and it'll be nearly impossible to cheat. So there won't be seven; there'll be a thousand, right? And the funny thing is, with with EPO, well, that got invented what 1983, right? Doctors, you know, invented it for as a means for people with who are suffering from, you know, being who are anemic or getting chemotherapy. So it's the way to increase the red blood cells, right? Well, before that, before 83, they used to do blood doping, right? Which is like you look at um, 1972, 1976, when Lassie Veron won two gold medals in the 5,000 and 10,000. 
didn't race much between 72 and 76 and won the 5,000 and 10,000 double at Montreal in 76, you know. Poor old Dick Quacks and Rod Dixon. Dick Quacks got the silver, right? And so they missed out. But, you know, he's kind of like openly admitted that they used to take the blood out of the body, freeze it, and then you train and the blood will work up, work back into your body. Then they'd thaw it out, put it back in the body, and then you get like an artificial EPO. Same thing, extra red blood cells. But then when EPA got invented, oh, it's so much more easier than doing blood transfusion. So, you know, this, this, um, Wider drug testing. It, looks, it sounds like that vein is pretty well close to being guilty if he's, ad, if he's admitted to actually doing it. I don't know whether he has, has or not, but it's very interesting, this water and blood doping and EPOs. Yeah, he's admitted anyway. He's admitted he was given EPO to cure him of COVID that he didn't have, which was a real roundabout way of saying, yeah, I took it, but it was on the advice of doctors to get me over COVID, which was... <coughs> I think a bit of a shot in the dark and then they got enough evidence against them and then he just dropped his defence and, and walked away from it with an eight-year ban. I would love to know what when it comes out how he actually tampered with it because what, from what I know, when you do the first test, right, it, you, it's a urine test and it's put in this A and B sample from the same, so you've got one big capsule and you dip it into two. It's, it's sealed, right, and it's signed off by the athlete and by the lab. So I'm not sure how it can be, unless unless somehow someone's paid money. Being in Kenya, you know, not as strict maybe as like other countries. Maybe something's happened and somehow they've tried to tamper the second sample, and maybe he's been caught out on that. I'd love to know what they've got on him on that, but that's a huge offence, and that's that makes him even more guilty if it's happened. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, Brent. Um, appreciate your call, yeah. buddy. Thank you. See you, mate. Bye. See, see you, buddy. Bye-bye. It does say that Robertson's statements and supporting documents included falsified documents and false testimony, which amounts to a breach of Rule 2.5, which is tampering. So maybe it's not tampering with the sample, but it's tampering with evidence because you got a couple of doctors from the Kenyan clinic and a witness to say that that was what actually happened at that medical clinic. But it was... He produced hospital notes and a hospital report and the witness corroborating his claims. However, Drugs Free Sport New Zealand responded uh, to his evidence with expert evidence from Dr. Stephen Ritchie who commented on the clinical implausibility of the medical treatment allegedly received by Robertson. And when Robertson was presented with that evidence, he abandoned his defence. So there's probably more to come out on this and um, I am going to go and find the official statements and in the clinical reports and see if I can work my way through it for you and probably do that tomorrow um, <clears throat> goodness me um, poor fella you know I always think of the person first poor fella um, you don't know if he was railroaded into it by coaches or organizations or he was starting to slow down and felt the pressure I need to do that someone's just said what does EPO do it increases your red blood cell count basically which increases your performance and as Brent correctly said in the old days they used to get you when you're at rest and you had your normal red blood cell count and then um, then you go and train and train and then just before you compete they inject it back into you so you got not double but a lot more red blood cells which carries oxygen around your body which allows you to perform better so that's what he's done it's been around a long time but he's been caught he's been caught Welcome to give us a yell, 0800 150 811, we'll have a break, looking forward to chatting to you after this. Before he was All Black coach announced, um, 
he had said that this would be his last year with the Crusaders. And I do know in the background um, last year or early this year, he started rallying troops to make sure the succession program of coaching is is maintained uh, down in the Crusaders. Um, is there a head coach as part of his assistance? He's got um, James Marshall, of course. I just, I just don't know. Um, I'm just trying to think of the natural successes there. Um, but anyway, uh, phones. Oh, a life member, Zaid. G'day, Zaid. Uh, good afternoon, Stassi. Uh, pretty happy to see Razor as the new All Blacks coach for 2024. Um, but doesn't sound too good. He might be taking Leon with him. He might be what, sorry? Taking Leon, yeah, he could be. He might be. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm sure there'll be someone else to coach the Blues if he does. Um, well, but I was, I was thinking be... you, and, you and Ken could coach the Blues. You and Ken. <laughs> Um, and yeah I don't know too much about uh, running but it doesn't sound too good about old Dan Robinson uh, dashing up at the old PEs the old steroids no it's not flashable definitely um, uh, definitely a bit of 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 cheating going down there so yeah clearly the old uh, urine sample wasn't too good no, um, and then the blood sample no good either. So yeah, he's he's cooked for eight years, and I just wonder what the young fella's going to do. I don't know. Might might have to go and get a job or something, something different, because he won't be coming back running. That's for sure. No, I don't know how old he is, but that that'd be his career over anyway, wouldn't it? Yeah, oh, he's the other side of thirty now, uh, Zaid. So he was probably coming towards yeah. the end of it, and maybe was just trying to get a little bit faster for the last crack at the <laughs> next Olympics or something. I'm not sure. Maybe he should have tried to get some new Nike shoes or something, maybe. <laughs> get the carbon shoes out. <laughs> Talk to old uh, Elliot Kipchoge, maybe. That's it. That's it. You're on to it. All right, Zade, we've got a scoot. Good to hear Thank from you. you, buddy. Have a good All day, good. mate. We'll take our last Have break. Have a good day. Before... Cheers, buddy. Uh, take our last break. Got some more text messages to get through before the news. Warmer and comes the rain and wind again. But it's a magnificent complex down here. So much stuff. Uh, Michael said, can uh, Razor still do breakdancing? He can. I don't know if he will. Uh, from Ken Staffy, I'm not happy with Razor or NZRU appointing him. If they had waited till after the cup, it would have turned out completely different. But I'm right behind Fozzie. If he's still there in the coming months, I think he might walk. Wow. I think he might walk. Um, and he also says that uh, Leon's off contract for the Blues. So my pick is Rennie. That's the rumour. Either way, he decided to go. Leon can't see him being in Auckland next year. I, yeah, I don't see... Because Leon's been linked with Scotland as well, hasn't he? Um, Roger says he kicked, picked to the correct margin. So it might be Roger's number that you've got there, Finn. We're, Finn's going to give uh, the winner of the sweep last week uh, picked Broncos by 22. So he's if that's you, Roger, he'll be contacting you soon, um, either during the show or after... After the show, um, last one, afternoon, Staffy. Now, this is out in the open, Razor. I really hope in the media, when both interviewed, they just ask questions about their current jobs and Razor, nothing to do, AB's related until his feet are under the desk, so to speak. Have you mentioned the winner of the league pick last week? <laughs> yeah, I just did. Yeah, I, if I interview Razor in the coming year, it won't be about All Blacks, it'll be about Crusaders. Um, Anyway, we'll take a break. Uh, coming up for the rest of the show, we're going to have some guests who are involved in this field goes down here in Christchurch. And uh, first up will be Mark Shaw from PGG Rights and Turf. He'll be joining us after the news. And that's now with Johnny Mack.
through to tea. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. into the afternoons with Steph here in association with Gull. They'll fuel your mission all year round with the folk at Gull. They'll fuel you right on mowers, your combine harvesters, all of the equipment you want. And there's a lot of equipment here at the PGG Rights and Turf Turf Days. Uh, joining me now, a man that was integral in putting it all together. He is the turf manager from PGG Rights and Turf, Mark Short. Welcome in. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. How often do people ask you if you're the former All Black? Uh, quite often. I actually got called by uh, oh, a, a radio station years ago when the Rugby World Cup was on and New Zealand wanting an interview with me. And, uh, I had to politely decline, but um, some people have told me I should have taken it. That's like, I met a guy by the name of Michael Jones. Uh, he does a lot of great work in the rugby community up in Auckland, and he said he's just sick of it. So, like Michael Jones, Sir Michael Jones, the rugby player, is known as the Iceman. And his mates call him the ice cream. Right. So, <laughs> so uh, you can't be cowboy sure, but you are Mark Shaw. What a what a cool venue this is that you've put on here. Um, I'll just move that up there. Um, God, the equipment. It's 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 a visual symphony of agricultural equipment and the the knowledge out there on turf. I just wandered around for an hour and a half, and I learned heaps real quick myself. You got the best of the best here. Yeah, yeah, we're very lucky. Um, I think there's 25 trade companies uh, here representing their wares to the New Zealand turf industry. Um, when you say agricultural equipment, I think it's more turf-specific turf equipment. Specific, yep. You know, all your tractors out there don't have cleated tyres. They've got turf tyres, so the, the footprint they leave on the ground is very minimal. Um, and, and it is turf-specific equipment. So, you know, the site they're on is part of our um, breeding and evaluation areas that we utilise for bringing new grasses to market. Uh, you know, we've uh, provided a grass surface that um, represents every height of cut in, in turf management from 50mm um, mowing rough on a golf course down to 25mm fairway tee height uh, down to 4mm golf green height. Um, problem we've had is, you know, a, a fair amount of rain overnight and rain today probably somewhere in the vicinity of 35-40mm. And um, we've had to postpone the, the machinery demonstrations until tomorrow when the weather's going to be better. That'll be fun. It'll be like <clears> a circus. It'll be great. It sure will be. Um, there'll be stuff moving everywhere. And this is the first time the event's been run mm. in, in New Zealand, in Oceania. Um, it's really just to give the trade the opportunity to demonstrate the equipment that they, they supply into the turf industry. Um, you know, we've got a machine here. I don't know whether you, you I think you've got a photo there on your on your bench of the cis grass, the, the artificial fibres that get stitched into yeah, into living grass to create a stable root zone. So you you don't get diviting on sports fields anymore. You know, you look at you remember back to the old athletic park days where there were puddles on the field and players falling over left, right, and centre. You don't see that anymore. Um, and this hybrid, they call it hybrid turf. Hybrid turf systems are a key part of that. So to see that machine running out there is pretty unique. Mm, yeah, I remember back, I, was it the Sydney Football Stadium? And whenever they put down a scrum, they'd, they'd just 
make massive gouges in the ground they have to reset scrums away from these mm. it was like potholes mm. and, and so that's a thing of the past at the major stadiums now yeah definitely um, I think the ground you're referring to is probably Amy Park in, oh, in yeah. Melbourne yes and it was a Australia England um, test match uh, you know so that really put a spotlight on especially in rugby where you've got you know two scrums coming together potentially two and a half ton of pressure you know of impact might have those numbers wrong but it's somewhere around that there's a you know a risk of injury so you know there's a lot of focus on these hybrid turfs but it, it allows for increased levels of play so when you've got training grounds that you need to utilize you know four or five six times a week the hybrid turf can handle that wear a lot better than, than real grass mm. well, well just it's solely real grass we've got uh, Cameron Mexted coming in after you actually and, and I met cool. him out there a couple of hours ago and he took me around a few of the a few of the tents few of the displays and I met the really long guys these guys here and um, everyone knows each other and when I said oh so I understand Cameron that you're the guys involved in um, resurfacing Eden Park and he said oh there was us there was this there was that there was that there's so many components to growing bloody grass. Yeah. It's so specialised now. Yeah. It, it's an interesting industry, probably not unlike others, but it, everyone's connected. Yeah. And to put this event together, you know, it required, a, I suppose, a bit of a vision to bring all aspects of the turf industry together in, in one location. So golf and racing and sports turf and councils and landscape and so on. Um, and then you have to put it together an ed- education component for a lot of these uh, turf managers to get approval from you know, committees and, and employers to come along. So there's a value for the investment. Um, so reaching out to the likes of Andy Wood and Brad Sim at Cary Cliffs Cape Kidnappers, you know, and Troy Jordan at Marvel Stadium, David Mason from Brisbane Golf Club, Dr. Richard Gibbs from the Crosschurch Council, to, to come along here and, and, and um, you know, share information on their experiences and projects they've been involved with. It was a unanimous yes from everyone when we asked. Mm. You know, they're giving up their time to be here uh, and then when we reached out to the trade it was exactly the same response you know every major trade company in the New Zealand turf industry are here it's so like they've always wanted it almost isn't it they have yeah. yeah yeah I think there's been a lot of chatter about that you know it is a shame about the weather but we're used to working in this weather yeah the sort of story we have is if you want to make it rain organise a cricket game you know so. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to a guy out there before I don't know who he was or where he was from as I was just waiting for my coffee actually and I said if are there lots of these sorts of shows? And he said, nothing on this scale. He's been to a couple in Australia. He said, but quite often they're inside. Whereas mm. here, you can actually see the stuff working. We've got a putting green here. We've got a mini rugby field here. I've seen those robotic mowers are out there as well. It's actually seeing the equipment and, and seeing the suppliers and the people that produce this amazing turf with your good selves in a real environment. Yeah. Look, we are lucky. You know, this is a... The PGD Rights and Seeds site. Uh, it's the plant breeding and evaluation site for the PGD Rights and Seeds for Oceania. Uh, it's about 230 odd hectares of land we sit on, and there's plant breeding that happens here for, from grain and maize through to clovers, through to forage grasses, through to turf. I've probably missed a few out, out of the um, out of the list there. You know when you say turf. Is that grass and dirt and gravel? Is it the whole shebang? Good, good question. I mean, we refer to it as turf, so the grass you play on. Right. Um, I suppose you can refer to it as the root zone because there's a bit of science and some of that too. Um, but w- what we do here is we're breeding grass seed for use in sports turf 
surfaces um, from the division I work for. And what we're breeding here is perennial ryegrass for sports use, so for rugby and football and cricket. Um, uh, Colonial brown top is bred here for golf greens, so for the low height of cut. We breed a tall fescue that is used for landscaping but also has a an endophyte impregnated in it, in it that um, provides resistance to insects and birds. So we, we sell that into airports to minimise bird strike. Oh, right. uh, done a lot of work with Christchurch Airport and Auckland Airport, Wellington Airport um, with that grass. Uh, and fine fescues from a landscape perspective. So there's four or five major species in the turf sector we work with here. And there's a lot of evaluation work outside of the breeding and you know, there's a breeding tour going on each day uh, over the event. And what that encompasses is a plant breeder having a vision of, you know, two different grasses or two, two of the same grass with different attributes. And they put them in a, in a pollen barrier where they cross-pollinate naturally. They harvest the seed the following year. They replant that seed to get more seed. So they start with a teaspoon. They end up with a bucket full. Wow. That seed then goes through trials to see the performance of it. Um, and each year you're bulking it up. So from concept to commercial, it's about 10 years and roughly a million dollars to get that seed to market. There will be thousands of different crosses going on here and potentially none of them come to market. So it's a pretty thankless task. And the breeders here, some of them have brought maybe half a dozen grasses to market in their in their time. Wow. So. Yeah, I was walking past, like we'd, we're just outside the main buildings here, and I look through the windows at one of the rooms, and it's a room full of microscopes. Oh, yeah. So you go right from yeah. the genus, I yeah. suppose, to well, the finished product. Yeah, that, that, that's a cool room for this event. It's run by Syngenta, so agrochemical company. They provide a lot of turf-specific agrochemicals for use in that market. Um, and they're running a disease laboratory. So the um, turf managers have been asked to bring in samples of grass that has disease pressure on it. They are then um, dissected and analysed through the microscopes with the, um, the the presenters from Syngenta helping them to identify it under a microscope and then provide them with um, fungicide programmes or, or cultural management practices to mitigate the disease pressure. How did you get into this, mate? Like Me, seeds yeah. and grass? Where's your fascination come from? I've been with PGG Wrights and initially its predecessor, Pine Gold Guinness, for 30-something years. Um, oh, I started in the job just to earn some money and travel and then found my way back here and I was playing senior cricket in Christchurch. Uh, the company employed a man called Ian McKendry as the turf agronomist. Ian and I knew ourselves from playing sport against each other years ago and he sort of installed a passion in me, I suppose. Um, started doing some training in turf management, um, started on the road, and started to visit places like what was it back then Jade Stadium right. Carisbrook yeah, yeah. Um, Clearwater Golf Club when it was constructed I got involved with Ian Douglas when he built uh, the Hills Golf Course down in Queenstown and man I was I just felt blessed to be able to step foot on these surfaces and these facilities and then watch them develop and I've always said to you know guys like Ian and, and, and you know Simon Forshaw at Jack's Point that you know they build these golf courses these guys they turn it from a you know, a farmer's paddock or a flat piece of land into something special. They leave their scar on the landscape, and it's something they should be really proud of. And and I think, you know, our business are proud to be associated with that, as all of the trade that are here today are, you know. So um, we're day one of two today? 
What's the feed early days? What's the feedback from the stallholders and the people wafting in and out? I'm surprised there's a lot of people here. It's pretty cool. What's what's the initial feedback been? Yeah, the feedback's really positive. You know, this morning, you know, I woke up at two AM to pouring rain and wind and thought, What are we gonna do tomorrow? And That's what I was, I was thinking. I was expecting too. to see marquees <laughs> blowing across the ground and and we called the trade together, uh the, or the guys that were doing the machinery demos and said, Look guys, we're just gonna you know, postpone it today and, and go tomorrow and better weather tomorrow. Um, and, and they were all very understanding and very positive about it. Um, the feedback from everybody was what a great event, what a great site, what a great uh, concept to bring it bring it um, to town. Brilliant, Mark. Well, um, thank you for extending the invite for us to, to come down. Um, I felt like I was the, the little primary school kid going, pointing at all the machinery. It's just uh, bring your kids down and have a look because it, it's bloody awesome and tomorrow weather's going to be fine we're going to see the actual real life demonstrations of them as well just before you carry on you say bring the kids down well tomorrow afternoon at uh, 4pm the uh, Lincoln grass blades the Lincoln under 10 grass blades are playing the Lincoln under 10 root zones on the rugby field out here and Andy (laughs) Ellis is coming in to referee the game so that's the swan song to to top it all off so um, thanks to Sens for coming along thanks Mark and um, and Izzy for being here today. It's great to have you guys involved. Yep, and we'll be getting Izzy on the show in about 20 minutes. Uh, awesome, mate. Cool. Good, good to meet you. Thank you. There he is, uh, Turf Manager of PGG Rights and Turf Mark Short. We will take a break and we'll come back with one of the stall holders. If he turns up, he should turn up on time. Uh, Cameron Mixted will be joining us after this. We're live in Christchurch out at Lincoln. Uh, the weather goes good, then it goes bad. We're sort of in between at the moment. I feel like it goes summer, autumn, winter, summer, autumn, winter. It goes flat stick. Uh, very happy to introduce to you Cameron Mexted from Mexted Sports Turf. That sounds an exciting gig. Cameron, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mark. And um, yeah, thanks to PGG Wrightsons for hosting here yeah, today. It's, it's yep. cool out there, isn't it? Yeah, impressive. Done very well. Yeah. 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 And I was out there a couple of hours talking to you, and you, you showed me through a few of the tents, but... Um, um, so I'm going to repeat a few things we talked about just for the listeners' sake. Um, you were a big part of relaying Eden Park, and I think the Phoenix played on it two days after you laid it. Yeah, so we, we approached, um, so we've recently resurfaced Sky Stadium in Wellington and Eden Park following Ed Sheeran's um, tour, and um, big part of the entertainment game is, is effectively the turf. Mm. So, um Yes, uh, resurfacing a, a stadium like this usually takes one to two weeks and um, you've got to get it done in the time frames that are uh, provided to you. So um, yeah, Eden Park, we started early March, 1st of March and um, the 12th of March the Phoenix were playing on it. So there was a week a week to remove it and a week to lay it and um, with a roll of a football you know whether there's a bump and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, went off really well. Had a text message from Blair Christensen at Eden Park, the turf manager, saying that the, the CEO of the Wellington Phoenix was wrapped with the surface. So, look, everyone did their job well. Why does it need to be re-turfed? Is it just overuse or it just they just get tired? Yeah, so typically a, a surface will last 10 to 15 years maintained well, and they are maintained well in these stadium environments. But... Um, with concerts, there's porter flooring, there's forklifts, there's cranes, there's stages, and um, a bit like you go camping with your family, you pull your tent up after a week and she's brown. Yep. And that's what had happened at Sky Stadium and at Eden Park after the concerts. So um, obviously you don't really have the time to regrow the surface in. 
Um, so these, these stadiums typically have a um, turf farm, whether it's their own one or one under contract where they have a complete full surface uh, grown off site and they roll it up put it on the back of trucks and it gets laid out. Yeah, you showed me the roll of turf actually. It was quite fascinating and I think it was you told me that Eden Park have a farm or a massive yep. block of land about mm-hmm. 40 minutes north of Auckland and that you literally go in there, cut it, how deep's that? It's about 40 to 50 mil thick, yep. Yeah. Put it and on rollers, put them on trucks I guess. Yep, goes on curtain side of trucks and... Um, you know the, the the guys start harvesting at 3 a.m. in the morning, and I need to need to pay respects to um, to Eden Park and their their crew in the turf farm in, in Cracker there, um, South Auckland, and um, you know the the guys from HG Turf in Australia. It's their technology in the ground, their their backed product, and uh, Roger and Alex at Ready Lawn in Christchurch here. Um, we work work as a good trio um, in delivering these resurfacing projects, and. Um, yeah, two from two from now this season. Yeah. So walk me through. Let's go Eden Park. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone knows Eden Park. Yep. And you go in. Can you dumb down for us the process yep. of when you arrive day one, say, right, that's got to come out. New one's got to go in. Talk me through that process. Yeah, so um, I guess you, you take your dinner plate, you turn it upside down, and, and if you were to pour a cup of water on it, water should shed off that dinner plate. So... Most of these stadiums have a high point or a crown in the middle of the field. There might be a cricket block or um, effectively you want to run the water off the playing surface at all costs. And so what we do is we, we survey the surface. Um, we have the original design, so it's contours, a bit like a, um, a contour map if, you, if you're reading it going hiking or, or a weather map. And no difference um, in the stadium uh, environment. So we, we import that, um, that model into our tractors. Um, and it's all 3D machine controlled, uh, laser guided, um, wow. and you know, truth be known, you sit there and, and it does it does a lot for you. But that technology's come a long way. It costs a lot, um, but it does produce extremely good results. So to remove the old turf, we're sort of using like a I guess like a road mill. Um, when you see people, I guess road contractors ripping up um ripping up the asphalt yep yep so it's like a rotor mill similar to that but it's a turf one and it goes on the back of a tractor and we would typically i guess plane off or um top make off the top 30 to 50 millimeters and then um expose the fresh sand underneath and um that's where we do the shape correction yep so I'm, uh, I know it's radio, so it's sort of like, <laughs> like an upside-down bolt. How much yep. higher is the middle than the outside? So, um, you, you know, you could be, in, in extreme circumstances, there might be um, a metre, um, you know, or 500 millimetres maybe between the middle of the pitch and the, the, the far end. And everyone's been on those community fields where you're looking at your, your nemesis's, um, the nemesis's parents on the other sideline and you can only see their knees, you know, because yeah. of there's, that, there's that sloping um, field. And so that's for water runoff. That's for, usually for water runoff, yep, yep. Okay, so you get in there and you cut it all out. What do you, mm-hmm. these must be mountains of dirt and earth. Yeah, yeah, so the planning is, uh, is extremely the toughest part of these jobs and, and Eden Park Trust are fantastic to deal with. They... Um, you know, we worked through health and safety um, requirements. You know, the traffic management is immense with residents and paying respect to the working hours, um, coning off the car parks, um, sweeping the car parks afterwards. So this 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 stuff gets basically mounded up 
in the bus turnaround bay and removed with truck and trailers um, and it's disposed of sustainably as well so it gets gets put into reuse um, elsewhere so um, yeah it's it's all part of it right so it's all shaved it's all bare it's yep. it's about 50 mils uh, did you say 50 yeah there'd be about 50 millimeters we took off yep on Eden Park Eden Park and um, that's obviously the turf coming in that's 40 to 45 millimeters so we've got to make up about 10 millimeters with um, sand fresh sand so we import the new sand um, key that into the old sand we need to be lifting the sprinkler heads up to the new finish level um, potholing that and a lot of these grounds have cricket wickets <coughs> excuse me in the middle so the tray that gets lifted in and out for cricket one day and then football the next that's steel um, and that's sitting on a concrete pad in the middle and that ain't going anywhere so you've got to tie in your levels of that so yeah it really is um, really is fun to do this sort of work um, it's a privilege really and we, we love it and so you lay the new strips of turf and, and I mm -hmm. saw a rolled um, bale of it whatever you yep. want to call it <coughs> and there's the artificial grass in there which just um, maintains the integrity yes. under the yep. load of the rugby or the football or whatever mm -hmm. um, once it's laid there must be lines between each laying how, how do they match together yeah so um, that's where our part in the, in the project is really important is having the, the correct grade and levels on the sand because if there's a step in the sand underneath there's a step in the turf on the top so um, when the guys, uh, the crew, sorry, roll out the turf, um, they, um, they're rolling it out, they've got a machine that side kicks it, pushes it right up against the, um, the, its neighbouring turf and they use a, um, a bunch of concrete saws to do the joining. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you're cutting through two layers of turf at any one time to do a join and um, end on end as you roll it out. Um, I know it's a bit hard to understand over, over radio but um, basically got a, an emu, emu parade afterwards with pitchforks making sure all the joins are good. You put a roller across it a few ways, you irrigate it, you mow it. A um, couple of weeks later you won't know it's there. Amazing. Amazing. Yep. And do you get along and watch some sport and say, I did that? It's a bit like driving yep. past the house you built. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, look, my lawn at home is atrocious. Good, <laughs> um, good, so good. is the old builder's house uh, analogy there. But um, yeah, I look, uh, we're Sky Stadium um, members there. We, 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 we watch sport. We love sport. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really cool. What's your next project? Um, so we've got the Basin Reserve we're doing after this. Um, we're putting one metre sandslit trains across that. So we've got Hagen and Dane from um, Wellington Regional Stadium Trust there that we do that work with. And then we're coming back down to Hagley Oval uh, to resurface that one. So, yeah, we've got, had the big four before winter and it's, um, yeah, it's busy. When do you rest? Uh, winter. <laughs> Feels yeah, like winter. winter today, mate. It sure does, um, yeah. I'm pretty pleased a couple of pizzas have just been delivered just quietly. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's good. It looks good. Hey, Cameron, um, brilliant to have you uh, join us today. I, I find it fascinating, and it's, uh, I know with radio we can't see the pictures, but those rolls with the little mats with mm -hmm. the, with the um, can't remember what the... So it's the artificial fibres. There's artificial um, polypropylene fibers. or polyethylene um, fibres, and they, they are beneath the natural grass cut height so you're never cutting them but they are above the sand so they act as a, um, a reinforcement for the turf and so I guess it's double pronged you can install it and play on it the very next day without it moving on you under a scrum mm. but it's also providing um, you know surface strength and stability and the health and safety of of the users the sports men and women um, is, is 
is primarily the reason it's it's done this way. And hybrid turf is, um, I guess, an evolution of of turf as we know it. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant, there cool. he is, Cameron Maxted. Oh, Thanks, Mark. Jeez, I've learned a lot in 10 yeah. minutes. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, all right, I'll let you go back out to uh, do do whatever you're doing out there, and hopefully you can get a little bit warmer than we are at the moment, but the sun's just starting to poke through as well. You're on SENZ Afternoons at the PGG Rights and Turf Days. More after the news with Johnny Mack. Oh, that music only means one thing. It only means one thing, it is the Bailey's Property of the Week. And this week, um, we are going to, what's the address here, 357 Patunamu Road in Wairoa. Um, and there's a good crew bringing this uh, property to market. It is Monty Monteith from Havelock North. I wonder if Monty's his nickname, and he got that from Monteith. Monty Monteith. Anyway, he's in the Havelock North uh building, as is Tony Rasmussen. If you're in Gisborne, you can contact Stephen Thompson. He's in the Gisborne office there as well. Now, this property uh, is 32 k's northwest of Wairoa Township in the Patanamu area. It's 151 hectares. There's cropping and finishing farm, and there is a metal quarry as well. And the land uh, is capable of going, growing very good maize crops, and there's photos of the maize crops on the website. Um, it bounds the Waiau River and the Patunamu Road. It's largely terraced river flats, of which 90 hectares is cropping land and 60 hectares of uh, side links, red metal and river metal pits. The metal, the metal is very sought after and historically used for forestry and civil roading in the local area, so he's a good little earner there. It's a high standard, easily accessed from the road, and a new boundary fence has been erected along the road and western boundary. Um, on site, there's also a good three-bedroom home. It's got a large sunroom, toilet, bathroom, all, all the bits and bobs. It's got a separate double garage and shedding with heaps of space at the front of the property for parking. There's a hay shed as well, some old cattle yards there and a loadout race and an old wall shed all centrally located on the property all very accessible the opportunity here is to buy good cropping finishing land with the extra opportunity just a little bit of extra income or pretty good income actually from the quarry and just on your doorstep if you're into the outdoors there's hunting fishing duck shooting there's a pond on your doorstep it's all there for you so if you want to check this out it is baileys.co.nz b-a-y leys.co.nz and the property number is 285-3215 it's a rural property it's magnificent the outlook across the land is fantastic surrounded by hills you've got the pond here actually I've got a photo of the pond up here absolute ripper you're only about 100 metres to go duck shooting on your own pond why wouldn't you why wouldn't you indeed alright that's our Bailey's property of the week we will have a break and on the other side of this i got two guests coming in. Uh, Ian Massick from Kubota, building and shaping New Zealand. And Izzy Dagg is going to jump in with me as well. So we'll take a break and we'll be back with those two great men right after this. Gull, fueling your mission. Pop into your local for some good value fuel. Gull.nz. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. 
Yes, you are. Welcome back into the afternoons. Thanks to Gull. They'll fuel your mission all year round. They'll fuel your Kubotas as well if, you, if you've got a petrol-driven Kubota. And I've got the man, uh, Ian Mask. I've also got Israel Dag joined to the hip, desperate to get a ride on Moa <laughs> for the acreage out there. Uh, Ian, welcome. And you've just arrived. You've just yep. arrived at Turf Day's first impression. Oh, it's amazing. Like the, the way they've put this event on and the, and the layout. And, um, yeah, it's it's excellent event. Done very, very well. And straight through the gate, first left, Kubota. That's right. We're right on. Can't miss <laughs> as soon it. as you come in. Yep. <laughs> I haven't missed it. No, you haven't, have you, Izzy? He? Izzy's he's got his Kubota pom-pom hat on. Are you the latest ambassador, oh, Izzy? I'm all about Kubota. I, I say Kubota every single day. Building and shaping New Building Zealand. Building and shaping New Zealand. Building and shaping SENZ, and it's great to have Ian here. Um, mate, it's a wonderful day. I've yeah. thoroughly enjoyed it, and just getting around and checking out the machinery and... You'll hear Staffy, so it's great makes day. it even better. And there's some pizza here as well. Um, Ian, like you, you're becoming more and more obvious as a brand being associated with sport, and of course, SENZ's associated with sport. What's the link between sport and Kubota? Why are you so involved, heavily involved? Well, I think it's more um, it, it's getting this brand recognition through um, people's pastimes. You know, what the, what are they doing on the weekend? What are they enjoying? And, and we want to be involved in that, and we want to be helping that. And by doing different sponsorship, whether that's through signage or you know at different events, things like that, or the the radio that we're talking with, you know, it's it, it's giving back a little bit and getting our brand out there and. Um, has a good association. You're so much more than lawnmowers. Um, <laughs> gosh, you're such an extensive range and specialised equipment too. Yeah, very. Um, that's why we're here today because obviously for this turf, um, you know, it, fine turf, whether you're on a golf course or whether you're at a school or um, your parks and reserves and all that, yeah, we've got a whole array of equipment that we can um, offer to um, to do that, you know. Where's all your research and development and design and all that done? Where, where's all that originate from? Well, Kubota's a Japanese company, so we really are Japanese, you know, and really, um, you know, there's factories all over the world, but it's all from Japan, and um, if anyone knows Japanese technology and design and engineering, we always talk about Kubota, they're an engineering company, you know, they make good gear that lasts, so yeah. I learned a bit of history when I went to Palmy North with Ian, and I was doing a little Kubota gig, and I, you know... Cubota, first thing that springs to mind is orange, stands out, the colour that you can just see from afar. You think tractors, you think lawnmowers. But actually, the background story is, is quite interesting. How Cubota started, it was piping? Yeah, so um, they actually started metal, you mm. know, making metal, and then it was into piping. So if you actually have a look around most of the world, a lot of the steel piping that's in cities and things like that is actually Kubota. They make massive turbines and different things. And yeah, so it's not just tractors and, <laughs> and farm machinery and, and construction equipment, it is all sorts of things that they, they produce. Yeah, it's fascinating. And where where's it going? Like technology wise, it's just I've been blown away. A few of the stands I've been around here, the technology that goes on. We just see the little bits of green grass above, but what happens underneath? What about above the ground for the, for Kubota? Where where can technologically can you see? your area going well you can see it um, everywhere with your vehicles and your trucks and your cars and all that and I mean there's no difference in, in machinery um, we you know electrifying vehicles is definitely the move forward um, and the other thing is is the quietness of the machines because you think about us mowing in the cities and things like that you know people want a quiet environment so that's the next part of actually having a mower which you can imagine a mowing 
you know, a mower makes a lot of noise. Um, mm. where, you know, there's ways you can quieten that up. And um, that's so one is by the engine, and then secondly is quietening the mower deck down so that someone's drinking their latte in Auckland and they're not getting a mower buzzing next to them. You know, that's the... I need, you, I need you to design a quiet vacuum cleaner because my neighbour... <laughs> you vac- don't vacuum. No, my neighbour vacuums oh. every night at half past nine oh, and, no. and I reckon it's a four-stroke rotary bloody <laughs> thing. It's so bloody loud. Yeah. Um, what about green initiatives? Like, well, there's a phone. There's a phone. <laughs> there's Ian. That's a phone. <laughs> green initiative, yeah. Is yeah that, I'm hearing you. Um, that seems to be the catch cry for a lot of companies about... <laughs> Um, you know, there's this climate change conversation. Is, is that is that an area that you 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 look at? Yeah, definitely. If you if you look at Kubota, um, you know our tagline for Earth for Life, and and mm. they really um, stand behind that a lot. And it's all about, you know, we talked about the piping before, and they really see that as giving back, and um, you know the resources of this world, you know, with um, with water and food, and really the land, and and so that's why they see that the machinery is part of that um, process. And um, but you need to be um, sustainable. You need to be looking after things, and so they have a real strong direction in that area. Um, you get onto the global website, and and it's not about the machines and anything like that. It's all about their people, the water, and 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 the land. That's also that's sustainable too for for your brand, isn't it? Because yeah. I'm with Izzy. Like I've always known Kubota is orange. You know, orange <laughs> tractor. Oh, that's yeah. Kubota. You yeah. know, um, but you, you've just advanced so quickly and. I've seen your associations with cricket, with rugby, uh, supercars. Uh, you came in here bringing, you just caught your first marlin. Mm. You're into fishing as well. So is that yeah. is that a little bit of your personal preference, sleeping into the uh, what Kubota should support? Oh, I, yeah, there is a little bit of that. But I'd have to say that um, you look at our customer base and you look at anyone in New Zealand. We, we all love fishing. You know, it's a great pastime of ours. So, yeah, there's a good connection there. Um, yes, Thankfully, last week I did catch well and it was my first marlin. <laughs> there so it is. Um, but we, we obviously, that was at the um, Kubota Billfish in Fidianga. Um, that was a, a huge comp up there. And um, we were just, I was telling you about the prize money, which is just staggers me. So we gave away $650,000 worth of cash and $200,000 worth of prizes. 850000 total prize pool. Um, there were 76 marlin caught and 74 of them were tagged and released. So once again, there's a really good connection there about looking after um, you know, the fish and, and, and really giving back as well, but having some enjoyment factor as we're doing it, of course. One, one of those ones that wasn't released was one of my good friends, yeah. Brad Cook from Christchurch. She actually won the heaviest marlin, 200,000 cash. Really? 200,000 cash. One of my mates, never marlin fish, flew to Tauranga, Fitianga, and they went out and they caught the marlin. And mm. Mate, it's, it's, is, is that what you love doing? Like, you're obviously a brand that's all about the community. Mm. You're community-based, you're community-driven because that's where you get your heart of you know the industry. Is that what it's about for Kubota, giving back? Is that a, a good way to give back for you? Yeah, I think so. Mm. I think so. And um, that's where having these connections, whether, as you say, whether it's cricket, rugby, or, or fishing, um, motorsport is another one that we're involved in as well um, but yeah I think fishing definitely for New Zealand is a, is a great pastime that we all get involved in and um, we all love being on the water whether it's in the water or actually on a boat so mm. beautiful what's the chance of Izzy getting a Kubota <laughs> It's, it's pretty high. All of a sudden, Izzy, there seems to be a bit of man love going on. <laughs> I'm just keeping you close, Ian. Yeah. No, I appreciate uh, your time. I obviously love my lawn. Mm. I just don't mow my own lawns. Um, no. So there's a little bit of a missing cog there. That's that right. might and need to be filled. 
And one of the things we're going to have to do... And that has zero turn on it. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> if you recall, last time you sat on it, you actually had trouble starting yeah. it. So training is going to be a huge part huge. of the push whole Push button mower. Like, that's how advanced we're getting. We've got to jump on it, you sit on it, you push a button, it starts. Really? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Jesus. <laughs> and you still cocked it up. I did, mate. I didn't hold the button long enough. I was, I was, you know, I was nervous. I was in front of about 50 Kubota owners, and they were all laughing at me. But it was good. I'm yeah. enjoying my time. Awesome. What What's exciting for you and Kubota before we head off, Ian? What, what's exciting for you in the, in the future? Uh, this brand that's um, just, I love the connection you got there with the community. I love the responsibility with uh, under the green tag as well. I, mm. I think it's pretty cool. What, what are you striving for the next few years? Well, I think, um, you know, obviously we want to see some, some good growth. We've got other countries that are, um, you know, their, their sales are, are well above us, so we're looking for that, obviously. That's, you know, we're, we're all here to, to make some money and, and profit. But getting back to what you were saying before, it's really important how we do that. Mm. And um, we want to be making sure that we're seen in the right light with our customers and that um, we, you know, respect what we're doing and and make sure we always talk about that experience with a customer we want to make sure that that Kubota customer has an absolute great experience with our product and we know that happens mm-hmm. but we can always do better so we're always trying to you know give better level of service and and, and back up and um in training, you know, making sure they're getting the best out of the machines. You know, it's not dropping a tr- um, mar off to Izzy and saying, "Where you go?" It's it's a matter of coaching him through it and and helping him mm. and, and and getting the best out of his lawn because he loves his lawn. Mm. You know, it's, yeah. that's that's a big thing that we wanna we wanna achieve. Well, we hear on the daily that Kubota are building and shaping New Zealand, and you're a big part of SCNZ because we're yeah. being built and being shaped as well. So we really appreciate the association we have with you guys. I 100% mean that. Um, really, really valuable partnership for us as well. Cool to meet you today, and uh, awesome to sit down and have a quick chat. Hey, thanks very much. There he is, uh, Ian, out of Kubota, building and shaping New Zealand. Uh, we will take a quick break, and I'm going to quiz Quizzy. I'm going to do a Quizzy dag on Quizzy after the break. Kaha. Gull, fueling your mission. Pop into your local for some good value fuel. Gull.nz, getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. You're on breakfast with Staffy and Izzy. Does that sound familiar, Izzy Dag? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you trying to imitate my my little... Twang there. <laughs> Is that how I speak? Are you tired, mate? Are I you am. normally having a sleep about now? Nah, I, don't, I try and have a nap, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a little bit tired. She was, a, she was a big morning after what went on yesterday, so there was plenty going on. But I'm happy to be here with you, Steph. Good. I man. work overtime. Um, we've had a few texts about the Razor Robertson thing. Mm. Um, what's going to happen with the Crusaders coaching? Do you think next year? Oh, that's yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Uh, look, there's there's a couple of genuine options. It depends if if Scotty Henson goes with Razor to the All Blacks. So all signs are probably alluding to him potentially going with the ABs. If that happens, then there's a couple that have been thrown in. Look, I can see Andrew Goodman whether he wants to make the move back and coach back at home. I know his family would love to come back home. Mm. He's just got a young family, but that's a good opportunity at Lenta. So he'd be my leading candidate. Maybe a Tamati Allison. Tommy Ellison's been in the environment for a couple of years. He's just recently named as Wellington yeah. coach for the NPC. Yeah, right? yeah. So, well, that'll, that'll trump that, that'll wouldn't it? That'll be perfect. Yeah. Well, he be... could do that this year and then... And then lead him straight into that. But the thing with the uh, Crusaders, they, they don't really pick outside of the region. They like to pick in the region. Mm. So, when you think of that, who are the options? What about... 
we, I'm pretty sure when Razor had a crack at it last time, his his group was Jason Ryan, Jason Holland, and Leon McDonald, mm. wasn't it? Yeah. Can you see that foursome, or do you th- would he stick with that or try and get that? I, I can see that happening. Whether because I heard obviously Leon could maybe applying for Scotland, mm. the head coach role, so that's interesting. Uh, Jason Holland, I can see him in his group because I, I just know that's that's a viable option for himself. So he'd leave there. I, I'd see Jason Holland taking on um, the defensive role with, with the All Blacks and then it just depends what Leon wants to do so there's a little void there if Leon says no he wants to go somewhere else who is that option Scotty Hanson would be that option that's because potentially next year the Crusaders are losing Razor the Hurricanes could lose Jason there's three the head coaching roles <laughs> what are you up to next year I'm not coaching mate <laughs> no chance I couldn't think of anything worse <laughs> Putting myself out like that. <laughs> okay. uh, I'll keep busy dagging here for just a little bit longer. We're live from Field Days. You're on Afternoons with Staffy. In association with Golf Fueling Your Mission all year round. Do feel free to text at any time on 8833. We've got some more here. I'll go through them with Izzy after the news. <laughs> Gee, rights and turf days. Uh, it's fantastic. All the seed people, the grass people, the sand people, the machinery people. And Izzy Dag as well. <laughs> as well. Our local um, urban farmer. Uh, <laughs> Izzy, we've had quite a lot of texts into the show, which I haven't been able to address because we had so many great guests. Mm. Um, someone's just texting, and now that someone from the Crusaders is going to be the coach, I hope the ABs lose everything ever. And then they put, I joke, I joke. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, like there's some genuine doubters out there. I've yeah. been reading lots of comments, like people are like, oh, I've got my supporters jersey, I'm going to go burn it, I'm going to sell it. And I'm thinking, and I want to, because it's on Facebook and I know these people, and I'm like, I want to write back and just ask why. Yeah. Like, what is it about Razor that they dislike? And I, I can just goes back to that old school mentality. You know how Razor's different. Mm. Gets he out there, different. he dances, he prays. He's a peacock, mate. I'm a peacock. I love to flap my feathers and and be loud and proud. But that is Razor, and, and some people just don't enjoy that stuff. I, I always equate it to like people are saying it's before he was appointed. The rugby union never appoint him. He doesn't fit their mould. He mm. doesn't fit their mould. I give you Brendan McCullum in English cricket. That's an even bigger swing shift in what they've had for over 100 years, the England aristocracy, and Mm. they bring in this brash little tattooed Kiwi saying swing for the fences. That is a massive shift, even more so than Razor into All Black coach, isn't it? It's a results-driven product, you know? Look, he's gone over there and he's changed the environment. Like, who runs around Lords, the most historic ground in the world, in jandals and jeans? You know, that is Brendan McCullen through and through. But what he does, he inspires, He uh, he's innovating with his with his approach, but he's simple. Like, you know, you know, Baz, he is yep. very, very simple with his approach, and that's all you need. Get rid of all the clutter that's going around in the back room and just simplify it, and then you get results. Like, rugby is a simple game. You get the ball, you see some space, you run, you attack it. You defend, you get on your feet, you get numbers up, you get off the line, you make your tackles. Like, it is very simple. Sometimes coaches can um, you know, overcomplicate it and make it difficult. So, yeah, simple is, is, is always better. And the other thing, too, is when you make the All Blacks, you're a bloody good rugby player. Mm. You're not going to go in the All Blacks and, like, when you make the All Blacks, is he? they don't say, right, this is how you pass, this is how you kick, this is how you catch. It's all about creating the environment to bring the best out of you. And I don't think there is any shadow of a doubt that Razor Robinson's environments are second to none. Mm. You talk to people that played 
even way back and played with him, and they all knew way back then he was going to be a coach because he just inspires people around him. You've been in the dressing sheds, you've been in that Crusaders environment, you know Razor as well as any of us, and he's that, he's that guy that you want to play for. He is. He is. And the best thing about him is he, he brings unity to a group, but not only just the playing group, it's the entire um, organisation as a whole. You've, at the moment, I feel like NZR and the All Blacks are separate. There's so much separation there, and there's no unity amongst the group. He will get in there, and he will bring everyone together. We're all on this journey together, and that's what he does. Like uh, For example, with the Crusaders, we had all our names on the back room. All our kids' names, everyone was a part of this journey. Mm-hmm. But not only just playing group and partners and family, he had everyone else in the in the organisation. You had the cleaners, you had the CEOs, you had the marketing team, you had everyone that's on this journey because we're all in it together, whether you like it or not. And, and that's what I love. He inspires and he actually puts purpose to why you're, why you're doing this thing. Like He'll be very clever with his videoing, um, his ability to, to do presentations and get the group um, like together and united. And when it comes to game time, he just there's something about him. You just want to play with him, play for him, because you never want to let him down. Like that's his biggest asset: his ability to bring a group together and unite them and and make them all one and one journey ahead. And when he was asked about, you know, what do you think is going to change? He went, this will change, this will change, this will change, this will change. Mm-hmm. And he's excited for it. He is so excited for it. And I think New Zealand are ready for it. I really hope people don't get caught up on the fact once he's all black coach. That he's the Crusaders guy. He he is the New Zealand guy. Yes. Um, once once he starts coaching, and I want that. Uh, it's a friendly animosity between the Crusaders and the rest of the country. I want that to bugger right off. That's gone. He's yeah. the All Blacks coach. He's not the Crusaders coach. And we've got to put some realist, realism back in it. Like he's taken over a role. Look, Ollie Ritchie said he says he's going through a rebuild, but he, he he quashed that and he said, look, this is a genuine opportunity to get some young group playing together. It ain't going to be smooth sailing from the get-go, and I think he understands that. There is so much pressure on Razor, and, and the, the pressure from the nation is going to be amplified even more, but um, he'll enjoy that. And, and this is a fresh start. Like There's going to be... I had Mark Robinson on, Robinson on this morning, and we are talking about the change. like Change at the top, but how much does that change filter down like are we expecting a full change in, in the environment like you think your management they've been there since 202 Darren Shan so much experience you got Nick Gill Pete Gallagher you got you know George Duncan just so many people in the back room that have been there amongst that group for such a long time is this the end of an era for them we're pretty a little bit of angst in there it probably should be is mm. he eh? mm. it's probably time changes be. Mm. Um, let's go through some texts together. Everyone's ecstatic about Razor's appointment, but man, he's got a lot to live up to straight away, and he's going to lose so many of the senior player group. But I'm guessing the Crusader fans might not be too excited if Fozzie decides to apply for the vacant coaching job at the Crusaders. <laughs> can you imagine no. Fozzie to the Crusaders? No. I can, uh, look, imagine this, if, if Fozzie wins it. I want him to. Yeah, I want him to as well. I'm backing Fozzie and the team all the way. I want him to win it, but oh, just I... imagine oh, if they, if the they... feelings amongst the New Zealand public. It'll be crazy. Can you imagine the Monday on mm. the radio if he wins that? Well, I'm buying popcorn, you know? Or we're just going to sit back and open up the phone lines and just enjoy <laughs> the ride? <laughs> Ten by Matson, maybe, for the Crusaders' job? Nah, he's been there. He's done that. He's over in Bath, I think, at the moment, over in the UK. He actually applied for the job when um, Toddy... Turned it down. Uh, Toddy resigned, and then 
they picked Scott Robinson. So I think his time there mm. is done. Uh, high staffer Fraser does take Andrew Goodman. Uh, then maybe he will come back to the Crusaders from Leinster. Fins up Paul. Yeah, as you mentioned, is he um, mm. good? He's a chance, isn't he? He's a genuine chance. I, I can actually see that realistically happening, happening more than more than others. Like he's got a young family. His wife Nina. They are from New Zealand, and it's a long way over in Dublin. It's cold. It's it's miserable. They obviously play some nice rugby, but it's it's a miserable lifestyle. So I can see that hap- absolutely happening. And I hope it happens, because he's got a lot of respect amongst the group. Oh, he has, mm. yeah. He, he, and um, did some good time with Razor as yeah. well. Um, yeah. And that continuity thread will carry on with Goody coming back. Uh, John Gibbs is back in New Zealand for good. He's coached overseas. Another name to throw into the hat from Sean. Interesting. Well, at the moment, you've got Tarmati. You could potentially have Andrew Goodman. And then you've got Jimmy Ma, James Marshall. So three backs, like you alluded to earlier. Like there's, There could be a... A missing cog there. They got Dan Perrin. He's just signed on the, to coach the Fords, but you kind of need that balance. John O'Gibbs, I can potentially see that see that happening. There's there's a few names that are floating around for mm. sure. Staffy, if this is true, New Zealand Rugby Union didn't even tell Fozzie about the change of coaches coming yesterday. That's a bloody disgrace. Even though he's in France, what a stuff up. He won't stay. He can't. He's only human. I, I found that flabbergasting, is he? That they said, "Oh, does he and Foster know?" And they're going, "Well, he's in Europe." Yeah, but does he know? It's a shambles, mate. Well, he's asleep. It's a, it's a, it's obviously it's honestly a shambles. I I feel absolutely gutted for Foster and and everyone. like that's that separation I touched about earlier. Like, there's no unity in there at the moment. It's so separate, and which is horrible to see. And look, in all honesty, as as a former player. I feel absolutely gutted. Like obviously, results-driven, base-driven industry. What we're in, but the carry-on in the back room, there needs a lot of, a lot of answers from what's going on back there. Like it has been an absolute shambles, and they take a lot of the, uh, the um, explaining. They need to explain a lot of that what's going on in the back room to to where we are at, at the moment. The process could have been handled way differently. And then Ian Smith was actually grumpy this morning. No surprises there. But he was a little bit grumpy when he came on here because it shouldn't have happened in the first place. This announcement, announcing a coach, you know, a couple of months out from a, a World Cup, which is the be or end all of every rugby player, every All Black in, in New Zealand rugby. So Why is every, why is he, is everyone saying the process was flawed, they treated people poorly, everyone's saying it, except New Zealand Rugby Union. Because they don't like to answer the tough questions. Steffi, we know that. You know that. Everyone knows that. They just shy away from it. And they've got a lot to to answer for. And, and uh, you just want everyone in, in their seat, to be honest, because when it comes to situations that will be posed to them in the future, you don't know what to believe, whether they're telling the truth or telling a, a few fibs. So, look, honestly, there's so much to work through, and people are, Asking for uh, Robbo to to maybe resign, I think that's that's the ultimate. But he's got a lot to answer for, mm. for sure. And I do take on board. He is the mouthpiece for a lot of decisions, and he comes out and says what those decisions are. People saying the board's got to go, the the chair, the deputy chairs, um, the CEO. They just got to throw the backstabbing out, Steph. Simple, throw it out. We're all in this together, whether you like it or not. We're on the same journey, man. You jump on, be a part of this waka. Well, get off and mm. go somewhere else. That, that's simple. Well, there's no. I hate backstabbing. I hate people talking behind the back. Just yep. leave it out on the front. If you're behind me, you're no good to me. And it's not. It's not too long ago you were playing rugby, right? And 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 like when you were in the All Blacks, which isn't too long ago, yep. the whole country, 
the All Blacks were ours, um, you guys were ours, we were yours, and we were all in the same waka, mm. right? And we were, I mean, Steve Chu had his detractors, he had his processes that weren't quite right, but at least we knew what, what was going on. The, the downturn, I, I mentioned on my show yesterday, if the All Blacks had a share price, it would have crashed in the last in the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, voter confidence has crashed. Everything's crashed around the All Black brand. And and um, we still love the team. We still love the players. You know, Sam Kane came in for a lot of swish last year. Um, shouldn't be there. It should be Dalton. It should be this. I think that was a flow-on effect for the distaste for New Zealand rugby as a whole, and people need someone to point it at. And I felt like Sam Kane got pointed at quite a bit because of the environment that was created through the disconnect between rugby as a whole and the people out here in the public. They have to address it, Izzy, or because those that they haven't lost are looking for an exit, and we can't have that here. Who are the first on the chopping board, Steph? When every industry... CEO, your boss, your your coach, your captain. Like it's just the simple facts of, of high performing business. Is the leaders are going to be uh, throwing questions at them from the get go. Mate, honestly, imagine if that Silver Lake deal was signed now, would it still be worth what they got? What Silver, was it? Three hundred eighty thousand? Uh, a million? Silver Lake wouldn't have signed. Silver Lake wouldn't have signed for what, what the carry on that's going on. Like, I totally agree. I think the brand has taken a dent, but hey, that's exciting. We've got an opportunity to, to win back the, the the support, win back the public, and um, that starts right now with Ian Foster and this group. This is our group. This is our core group, coaching group, our playing unity, our player group. Let's get behind them and get them through. If they win this, we're back. Mm, mm. You know, and, and no one's expecting us to win. I'm walking around, everyone's talking about the Irish, the, the French, and everything. I love that. We're flying under the radar and we're going to come through and we're going to surprise some, some pundits because they've written us off. Everyone's writing us off and that excites me because if I was a player and people were talking bad about me and, and you know, talking down on me, I'd be like, yes, let's go. let's go. Keep building the ammo, mate. Keep giving me some ammo so when I come out and I knock <laughs> you right between your eyes and then I'll see you later. That's what I love. It excites me. <laughs> Where are you at? My, my viewpoint is there's, I know the World Cup's important. Yeah. But it's too important now. Um, like, we we do value Bledisloe Cups, but even that's become less important. And we are focusing on a tournament once every four years, and we've diluted the importance of Northern Hemisphere Tours because it's always about building to a World Cup, building to a World Cup. I want every, every test match to be bloody important. <laughs> and the longer, ever since the World Cup started, I remember 87, it was just, oh, there's a World Cup in rugby. We haven't had that before. Might have a look. Mm. You know, we didn't have sold-out grounds. It's now the be-all and end-all. I feel like it's been to the detriment for some innovation around Super Rugby, definitely to the detriment of NPC Rugby, which is my heart and soul, yeah. and Ram Foolish Shield, mm. the Heartland teams as well. They're just slowly... They are like trailers full of concrete getting too heavy for the NZRU truck to tow. Is there too much importance on one tournament every four years? Um, I can see where you're coming from, uh, and I can understand your point of view uh, for sure, because I loved um, provincial rugby, man. That's where it all started. I grew up watching Counties Monaco with the legends Vendetti and John Lombu on, on the edges and a packed-out crowd, and then Hawks Bay Magpies playing second division. Like, that is where all my memories of rugby come back, and I'd love to see that happen and get to where it is. I think there's too much rugby at the moment. Like, there's so many options out there at the moment, and, like, for me as as a former player, the World Cup, it is the ultimate. 
Because that's that one trophy that comes around once every four years and it's there to take and it's so bloody hard to win. Oh, it is. It is so bloody hard to win. If you win it, you've got to win eight straight or you've got to go through a tournament you've got to play eight weeks in an environment, high pressure, high performing. There are so many what-ifs that could be thrown at your team throughout the World Cup and if you don't get it right, you get knocked out. So I can understand that. But what about that news today with the Six Nations and obviously that uh, World Global Championship? potentially taking place every two years so that's another opportunity for us but look there's obviously a lot of doubters there with sugarcoating around the the problems that rugby will rugby have at the moment you know we, we need to look after our second tier nations they don't get the opportunities they don't have the genuine pathways to to play these top teams because they're always worrying about the top dollar and top two teams playing in the world are going to generate money mm. so they look at these as fijis the tongans they're like oh that's not going to generate much income so why should we bother we need to change that mindset and try and think of ways to, to bring up these smaller nations. So if these smaller nations, which pro- offer us so many champions around the game of rugby, mm. you look at all the, the flying Fijians in Europe, the flying Tongans over in, in, in America, like there are so many Polynesian players that are giving us so much of the game. I feel like we need to, to play them. But, um, yeah, look, I can understand what you're saying about the focus set is solely on the World Cup because reality is... All eyes are on the World Cup, and it's like FIFA World Cup. You're going to get viewers. You're going to generate income. Oh, it's important, mm. but I, I, I just wonder. What's the solution? To What's be... the solution if if we are able? How do we get back, Steffi, to having provincial game and, and Super Rugby the way that it once was? Like, I want to see it like that. I want to see our Hawks Bay's and and our stands full. Like Hawks Bay Magpies. The crowd, they're amazing. They, they always turn up week in, mm. week out. But mm. then you look elsewhere, there's no one. Mm. Caketon, yellow seats everywhere. Mm. Well, when I was a kid, there was no Super Rugby, so it was just straight yeah. <coughs> NPC. So Super Rugby Blacks. ruined it. Yeah, super, I think Super Rugby's added a tier because you've mm. got school, club, NPC, Super, International. Yeah. And for a little country like New Zealand, I don't think we can have all of those tiers. I've long said we must be able to, I think, run NPC at the same time as Super. And then the NPC teams, if you get an Israel Dag, he's been out with four weeks with a dicky knee. Um, we don't want to line him up against the Blues. Go and play for Hawke's Bay in the curtain raiser mm. against Counties. And then you have players yo-yoing in and out of NPC and up. Um, I don't know whether that would work. but the I depth. Do. Have we got the depth? Uh... Well, we've got the depth for NPC, mm. and then you've got the NPC playing at the same time as Super, and you've got guys playing NPC going, if I push really hard here, I'm going to get called up into the Super team that run, that's running at the same time. But if you don't have those superstar players playing, like that, that's like, because counties, you know, like when I talked about, like the big players were playing, and you're like, I want to go watch that. I know. So, like, the Super Rugby, yeah, look, it's it's a tough one. That's real. I want to see it. I want to see it working, staff, because that was my pathway to to the big time, mm. and, and I've got a lot of time for provincial rugby. Afternoon, fellas. A question for Izzy. He has played with Sam Kane and been coached by Foster. What does he truly think about those two guys? Kane has copped so much. Do you think it's deserved? Cam from Invers. That's a great question. What do I keep thinking about Fozzie? Look, uh, Fozzie. The the thing with Fozzie, he's actually a very clever coach. His his ability to to look at the game from a different angle, like when he when he was coaching, he was he was coaching the backs. So I had a lot of time with with Fozzie and his ways of seeing the game, seeing uh, little opportunities out there was very very clever and is in, uh, innovating. Um, the only question marks I had with Fozzie is whether he had the nous or the courage to when things got tough to actually confront the players. Yeah, that's what Steve Hansen did. 
he made me absolutely pack myself because I was scared of making a mistake or scared to get, you know, making him angry at me. Whereas Fozzie, if he grabbed me, I probably would have laughed. It's like your mum when you get a growling from mum, you just laugh. But dad comes along and like, whoa, dad, don't growl me. <laughs> That's what it felt like. I felt like Good just cop, whether, yeah, whether he could be the bad cop and actually um, get his point across. That was my only um, only doubts with him as a coach. Mate, fantastic coach. Sam Kane. Look, I've got a lot of time for Sam Kane. He was always going to struggle. When you're taking over from the greatest All Black of all time, it's hard to live up to those expectations. But honestly, I've looked at Sam Kane this year. I think he's flying. I do too. I think he's year. absolutely flying, mate. Mm. Steph, can you ask Izzy, if Jack Goodhue gets back to somewhere near his best, will he go to the World Cup? Yes. Yeah. Totally, totally. Like, he's... He's been riddled with injuries, and injuries have always been his Achilles heel, and it's and it's been a struggle. He's got knee problems, and I've had my fair share of knee problems. It is not easy to get through that. And as an outside back, you need to be mobile, you need to be in the game, and you need to be defensively sound. He ticks all those boxes, apart from the mobility. I just question if his knee is a bit niggly, if he can handle eight weeks of solid rugby going forward. Injury-free, he makes it. Mm. Is he, we're going to let you go and uh, do some more grease yes! for Randy and get your vote <laughs> to get you a little uh, lawnmower, mate. Thanks uh, for having me, Steph. Thanks Keep for stopping by bro. our beautiful marquee. And yeah. um, New Zealand can tune in and listen to you at 6 o'clock in the morning. We'll be back, mate. Thanks very much. Have a Cheers. good day, brother. Izzy Dag there. We'll be back after a break. How can you go to the Turf Festival and leave Sammy, the biggest lawn porn man at home? Well, Sammy's not well enough to travel at the moment. Um, I think he's going to come. I keep saying he'll come back tomorrow, but um, um, he's just uh, he's battling a little bit, as is Captain K. Uh, I must be making them sick. Uh, but they will be, uh, they'll be back on deck as soon as they're well, which will happen. Uh, remember, running it straight is on from 3 till 4. That's normally Sammy and Kempy, but it's just Kempy today. How's he going to do sailing the ship on his own, eh? And I just actually saw a text from... Kempy saying, hey, Staff Dagger always shouts the bears when visitors are in Christchurch. Well, I can't because as soon as I'm finished here, I'm off to the airport. But um, should have done it last night. Never heard from him. Staffy, if it's true that they didn't even tell Fozzie about the change of coaches coming yesterday, that's a bloody disgrace. Even though he's in France, what a stuff up. He won't stay. He can't. He's only human. Wouldn't that throw a cat amongst the pigeons at Fozzie? She's actually, fellas, I'm off. <laughs> uh, from Richard... Uh, the ABs turned their fortunes around last year once Schmidt and Ryan settled in. If they win the World Cup, perhaps Fozzie won't get as many plaudits as a head coach in the public's eyes due to the other coach's impact. Anyway, good luck, Fozzie. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. I actually feel, at the end of all of this, the people that have come out best in this whole merry-go-round have been Ian Foster and Scott Robertson. And the ones who had egg on their face before now have the whole omelette. And that is New Zealand rugby. There's a big repair job to be done if they feel like they need to do some repairing. Uh, If Leon leaves the Blues, I'd love Dave Rennie to take that job. That's from Craig. I would too. Dave Rennie's wonderful. Uh, This one says, Jono Gibbs has coached a massive French club to a semi in top 14. He is head and shoulders the most qualified coach in New Zealand right now, not involved with the All Blacks, and is reportedly on the shortlist for the Scotland job. He should walk into the Crusaders job. He'd be great, wouldn't he? I'd love to see John O'Gibbs back involved in, in rugby in New Zealand. I think that would be an absolute coup. Um, he was so inspirational as, as a player with Waikato and uh, Māori All Blacks as well. And, yeah, he's done a lot of coaching 
up north. Um, and someone said he's back here now. So he will pop up. Don't you worry about that. He might even turn up in a little NPC role or something later this year. And then um, Super Rugby can't be too far away for him unless he goes and takes that Scotland gig as well. OK, we will update you now with the news with John McNeil. Here's what happened back in the day. And, of course, it is the 22nd of March. And on this day in 1992, there was a bizarre cricket finish. England scored a 19-run win over South Africa in Sydney to advance to the World Cup final against Pakistan. I remember this well. After a rain delay and a slow over penalty, which modified the winning target, uh, the South Africans were left with the impossible task of scoring 22 runs off one ball. So they all walked out onto the ground. I remember this very clearly, and it came up. Um, to win, they required 22 runs off one ball. Don't even bother. Ridiculous. 2003, on March the 22nd, Man United striker Ruud van Nisselrooy started a 10-match scoring streak in the English Premier League when he scored a hat-trick in a 3-0 win over Fulham at Old Trafford. The Dutchman scored 13 goals in the final eight games of the 2002-03 season and in the first two games of the 2003-04 season. That is a rare feat. Uh, birthdays today, turning 51, the Man Mountain, 7 foot 6, all 7 foot 6 of them, the NBA centre Sean uh, Bradley, turns 51 today, turning 49, another NBA forward, Marcus Camby, is 49, and an all-black forward, so good to see him back on the park, Ethan Blackadder, turns 28, I didn't realise he was that, I thought he was about 26, but 28, Ethan Blackadder today. And on this day in 1997, number one movie was Liar Liar. And the number one song was this. I rock the party that rocks the body. You rock the party that rocks the body. I rock the party that rocks the body. You rock the party that rocks the body. So what's your status? I be the baddest. Be the hit the scene since the gangster lean. I'm more ears. So what you got to say? I hope you're bubbling it. Oh, he's faded it down. I was ready to jam that for a few more minutes. But come on, pop it up. Instead of knocking boots, we be kicking down Gore-Tex. Except it ain't raw sex, roughnecks. Throw your hands in the air. Let me hear you say, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I blow up shop. About to blow the roof right off of hip-hop. I rock the party that rocks the body. You rock the rock body the that body rocks, rocks the body. Rock the party, yeah. MC Light. Ably assisted by Kempi. I can see Kempi sitting in the studio with my name behind him. Looks magnificent, actually. <laughs> Looks magnificent. Actually, Kempi is obviously uh, prepping himself for the Running It Straight show, which is going to come to you between three and four. Uh, Chris has just texted saying he'd love Joe Smith to take the most important coaching job in the country once Leon leaves the Blues. Woo-hoo-hoo, shots fired. So... What do we got for the rest of the day? We're going to have a break shortly because Finn Basimo, we haven't even brought him on air yet, but we're about to. He's going to tell us what's making news around the world. And then I might just get Kempi to preview what is on running it straight um, after our last ad break. Uh, he's running the ship solo. No Sammy. I haven't had Sammy for five days. I wonder how Kempi's going to cope with no Sammy for an hour. I think it's the making or the breaking of uh, the great man Tony Kemp. So we'll have a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what's making news around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you 
to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? Oh, yes, what's making news? According to Finn Basimo, uh, welcome to the airways for the first time. We're about 15 minutes from home, Finn. <laughs> you have been under the pump in the hot box. Bro, it's been a, it's been a busy day for me. And you say that Sam and Kez are sick. I've been sick this week as well. It's all going around, mate. What is it? Do you have to be under 30 to get sick these days? Maybe. That might be it. We just, our immune systems aren't as good as yours, clearly. Uh, I just think you're just a bit softer. Oh, or that. Than my, than my generation, perhaps. Mm, Here I am in sub-Antarctic um, temperatures. Not a complaint in the world. Hey, I grew up there. I grew up in Christchurch, so I'm used and to it as left. well. And you left. Yeah, thank, yeah I, did, I did leave, thankfully. <laughs> it's a bit cold. Shakes a bit too. Shakes a bit as well, but you know. Anyway, what have you found on the news wires of the global news world? All right, I've tried my best to stay at Sammy and uh, Kez's standards, so I've I've searched a little bit. Uh, The first story I've got is uh, is a cruise ship story. Have you been on a cruise before, Steph? I haven't. Neither. I was going to say I have no desire, but always try something once. Well, maybe you should think about this, Steph. $30,000... To go on a cruise ship for the whole year. I was going to say already I'm out. Okay, thirty thousand for a year is pretty chipper. Yeah, that doesn't seem that bad. And you get everything included: your food and drink, good Wi-Fi. What's, there's a catch here. I promise you, there's no catch. Oh really? There's no catch. There's thirty thousand the for story? a year. Yeah, and you get to visit three hundred and seventy-five ports around hundred and thirty-five countries for thirty thousand dollars a year. Oh. Afternoons with Staffy from a different port every single day for a year. Tell Touches me that wouldn't be cool. I think that'd be great for our global brand of Abs- SCNZ. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I'll take it to the next step. All right, we've got a second story here. Have you ever? Like, are you a big Macca's fan, Steph? Um, I have consumed McDonald's in the past. I will attest to that. And do you do you like Coca Cola? No. Okay, I'm maybe one of the this, few this people story that doesn't like Coke Cola. Right, I'm a huge Coke fan, not the other Coke, this Coke. Um, and <laughs> the Coke at McDonald's is actually insanely good. And I've just found a whole article on why it's so much better. And apparently, they do all these secret things that no other fast food chains does. With their Coca Cola. Yeah, I, I promise you. It, there's like a bunch of like a list of different things that they do that people think it tastes so much more fresh and flavorful. Wow. You're bringing me news. Yeah, it's insane. And I read it. Do you know what they are? Yeah, okay, I'll go through it. So um, the first one, it's not pre-mixed. So it's just the syrup and then the the carbonated water. And apparently it gives it a fresher, more bubbly taste. Okay, okay. And they also add a lot of sugar, apparently, too. (laughs) So that might have something to do with it. I much prefer a McDonald's thick shake or a McFlurry than a Coca-Cola. I'll, I'll mm, to be fair, the, the, they, the thick shakes at Macca's are pretty insane. I do like I'll them as well. Mm. And I also, there's another reason. The wider straws at McDonald's apparently make Coke taste better because you get more through the straw. I can live with that too. Like, That's starting to make sense. It didn't. Me? When I first read that, I was like, there's no chance. But then it clicked. I was like, that mate, that actually, there's a good chance that's actually a reason. Yeah, I like that. I got I one like more that. story. One more yes. story for you, Steph. There's yes, a very lucky man in Virginia. Yeah, my mother's name's Virginia. He won $300,000 in a lottery jackpot. Mm-hmm. But get this, three years ago, he also won 125000 
it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Like and it was trumpet. just. I can trumpet though, Finn. Yeah. There's a guy in Lower Hutt, and he's won first division in a lotto twice. That definitely trumps it. That definitely trumps. You got to be a lucky man to win lotto first div twice. You got to be ridiculously pleased. I wonder if his middle name's Jesus. <laughs> he's predicting the future. I wonder if he's writing his own numbers down. Yeah, do you know, know how you can do that? He's got the yeah, script for Lotto. He's got the yeah. script for Lotto. Like they have the script for the NFL. Oh, back to the future. Yes, he's, <laughs> he's seen the draw. Yeah, nice. Anyway, those are all my news stories. Is that it? Yeah, I, I yeah, I told you. I, I don't. I was scared because I don't think I could hold up to Kez and, and Sam's standards. I, I, well, I'll th- let, three I'll, stories. I'll let, I'll let them be the judge and jury that they fin. But first time in the EP chair. How have you enjoyed your day? It's been stressful. Favorite part of the show today was what? This right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, right staff. Answer. All of it. All of it, staff. The right. show has and been incredible. And are you doing running it straight with Kempy as well? Absolutely. All right. And okay. Logan, Logan's in here with me now. He's giving me some help. Is he? Yeah. He's come in to... I can see Logs. Yeah, there he Jeez. is. I thought he was off today because he he put in the yards yesterday. He put in a big man. shift yesterday. And I have never seen someone turn around topical audio as quick as Logs. I'd read a text from someone about, uh, we were talking about commentators yesterday, and there was um, Jimmy Jakes who lost his voice at Globe Derby, and someone texted in, I read it out, two minutes later, Logan says, I've got that audio. <laughs> He's an absolute weapon when it comes to video and audio. Logs First class. Logan Swing. First, First class. class. First, straight past business class. Stuff premium economy. I'm going first class, front of the plane. <laughs> Logan Swinkles. Too good. Front and centre. Right, we'll take a break now. On the other side of the break, I'm going to catch up with pass, kick, run, Tony Kemp and find out what's happening on running it straight after the break. South, red paint to cover the green, and Big Nigel good to go for eight in a row. I love that. He is a fantastic man of the people, Nigel Walsh at South Canterbury. Um, now... Running it straight's coming up uh, very soon with uh, Uncle Kempe. Uh, Sammy Hewitt not on deck today. Kempe, you're running the cutter solo. Yeah, mate, looking forward to it, actually. Well, I'm not solo because I've got Finn and Logan in the back there doing uh, some very, very good work today. And we're, we're nice and prepared. We've actually got a really good show coming up, uh, Staffy. And I've just got to say, is it cold down there? What Has Jake got a wetsuit on? It's freezing, mate. I, I've had my Jakey, hood on most, most of the day. It's very cold down here. Um, it's probably lifted maybe two or three degrees. But when I first got here, Kempe, I, I, I said to Smithy, I look like an absolute pork chop in my nice white puma shoes uh, and my designer hoodie and jeans. And everyone's in swan dries and, and oil skins and gumboots. And of I just course. look like an absolute dick. Oh, no, the Jaffers <laughs> are in town. <laughs> yeah, um, Warriors have named their team, uh, Kempe, and um, during the week I've spoken to both uh, Kevin Campion and Blake Ashford about how mm. the Warriors are going, uh, both quite effusive of the absolute influence of Andrew Webster has got these guys firing, and, and one guy, Pompey, was got, I, didn't, I didn't know that he was as good as he's been in the last couple of weeks, he looks like a, a reborn league player. Oh, look, I'll use one word, Staffy, it's accountability. I think every player is on edge because they don't know whether they're going to be in the side uh, one week uh, from the other because Andrew Webster has put them all on notice that if you don't perform, then he'll go looking elsewhere and he's got them feeling that good about themselves and that fit. 
that when you went through the game last week against the North Queensland Cowboys, you knew, as I uh, called it in 23 minutes to go, that they were never going to get caught in that game, um, which is un- unheard of. Played in heat. Uh, Cowboys are desperate. The Cowboys obviously you know, got uh, a game away from winning it last year. It, look, they just have shown up in really good stead at the beginning of the year. The only thing that I think that can beat them this year is injury. Mm. And again, you know, there's a couple of boys out this week, um, but it's the nature of the beast when you've got those 20-odd rounds to get through um, and trying to keep your players fit week in, week out. I'm looking at the team that's been named uh, to take on the Bulldogs. Of course, you'll be commentating that game for us here on SCNZ. Uh, Nicole Klukstar is back. Valia is back. Uh, Ford is back and Freddie Lussick into the into the hooking role. Obviously, Wade Egan cocked one on the scone. Um, I think there's four, maybe five changes. It's a lot of changes, mm. but I'm still pretty comfortable with the lineup, Kempi. Yeah, the biggest change, I think, personally, is Mitch Barnett. I think losing him, he had a bit of a crusher tackle on the weekend, uh, not in the side. He's done, done a lot of tidying up for the Warriors. Reminds me a lot of that man you spoke to earlier in the week, actually, Kevin Campion. Um, mm. But you do get back chance, Nickel Clockstout, and the likes uh, of, a, of, a, of a good back row to replace Mitch Barnett and forward. Uh, it's just whether or not they can carry on that good form. And speaking to Andrew Webster earlier on in the week, he's he's laid down, the, the I guess, the, the challenge to them right after the game of the Cowboys to say that they got plenty... Um, to do to get better um, from where they are at the moment. Interestingly, I said to Blake Ashford, I, I had to rephrase it. I, uh, I was sort of lining up my question to be, which player would you least like to have a season-ending injury? So I rephrased it to who's the most important player to the Warriors in the playing roster. Who do you reckon he said? Uh, at the moment? I think he would have. Well, I think he would have gone to what, someone in the spine, mate. Probably Wade Egan or someone like that. He went Torhu Harris actually, just for the inspirational leadership and the fact he doesn't have to be replaced, makes tackles, makes yards, and I think he said he had a dog's body, much like his own. <laughs> um, he's not that ripped athlete. He's not no, that he's huge not. unit, but he's the ticker on the man is incredible. Yeah, good player. And and one of the reasons why they, they competed for 80 minutes last week because of the 200th game, you know, the presentation of that 200th jersey, uh, watched it on YouTube, was something pretty special. So when you've got a player of Tohu's, um, I guess, mana, and he's going out there giving us all every week, week in, week out, it's really good to see across the board. And you saw that when you were, when you were commentating the game on Saturday night, that none of the players out there wanted to let him down. Even the bench that come on was outstanding. You were waxing on a lot before the season started about what a key signing for Dylan Walker was, the number 14, and could potentially be the best 14 in the comp. I'm on board with you. Jeez, change my Him and Jastavanga on the bench, when they come on, the game changes, and that's what you need off the bench. Yeah, look, they've got a big role to play, those two. Uh, I like Jazz. He's an intimidator. He's an enforcer. Uh, he's He can give away a few penalties. You've got to remember that he's got that little sponsorship going with his mate um, where he, the amount of penalties and suspensions he get, he's, he's dishing up 100 bucks to him. Look, I just think that you know, he's picked up a daily M for the best bench player, Jazz Tavaga. For me, Dylan Walker's the, the best bench player in the competition, and those two can probably develop something pretty special. And Webby can see that. Like, you can see when they came on together, 
that they actually, which is a problem that they had last year, they couldn't actually move that that bench um, forward when they took players off the pitch. And I just think that, you know, keeping those two fit is going to be really crucial this year. Guests on the show, Kempi coming up. Got Matty Johns coming in from Australia actually to preview the game because he's got plenty to talk about. Obviously I want to ask him about what he thinks about the competition after three rounds. And we've got Jazz Tavaga coming on. Oh, brilliant. I will be listening in on my drive to the airport. Kempi will be bringing you running straight. Big ups to Finn. Thanks, buddy. You did a great job at your first time in the EP chair. And thank you to Jake down here in Christchurch for setting it all up. Running it straight, coming at you after the news.